This podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only and does not replace independent professional judgment. Land Gorilla Inc. makes no representations, warranties, or promises for and disclaims any express or implied warranties related to content. Before acting on any information, you should consider the appropriateness of the information as it pertains to your unique business needs. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Janie Lee, and this is the Construction Lending Podcast, where we are sharing information, trends, and best practices around all things related to construction financing. Today's topic is about the alternative solutions to affordable housing, including factory-built housing. Nationwide, the estimated shortfall of housing units is anywhere between 3 million to over 5 million homes. This shortfall can be traced back to the Great Recession when new home construction came to a halt, and since then we have continued to underbuild for well over a decade. It comes at no surprise to anyone listening that we have a housing inventory and affordability crisis. But there are some great alternative, affordable solutions to a stick-built home such as a factory built. So let's get into it. Joining us today is Shannon Ferris, Director of Strategic Relations at Land Gorilla. Shannon, thanks for being here today. Thanks for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Shannon, you know, this could be a very a topic that is something that may be new to the listeners that's listening to this podcast today. So tell us, why is financing factory-built homes something lenders should be paying attention to? Well, I think it has to do with the, uh, you know, the current housing crisis that we're in and have been in for quite some while. And um, there just simply are not enough homes. There's not going to be enough homes. And so I think every lender should consider financing uh, factory-built housing um, as a logical solution to uh, housing affordability, uh, housing inventory issues, uh, and costs to the consumer. And do you see a, what type of significant uh, cost reduction are you looking at or are you referring to? Well, I think um, if you if you exclude the cost of the land that you would put a manufactured home, factory built home on, exclude the cost of the land or the lot, um, a consumer might save as much as 25 to 40% Of the cost of a site-built home, which is quite significant, you know. Right, it is. In today's market, when you consider the level of higher interest rates, you know, you know that that has a big impact on what a borrower could otherwise qualify for in a mortgage loan. So that is a huge cost reduction, and I think that is something that's going to be very appealing to the homeowners or potential homeowners. So. Is there, aside from the cost reduction, is there another appeal to having factory built homes? Oh, I think one, one would be that um, the, you know, the profit that the manufacturer would make when they produce one of these homes is somewhere between 12 and 15 percent, you know, according to the Manufactured Housing Institute. 
Uh, whereas a site-built home, the builder's profit overhead and supervision could easily be 25 to 30 percent easily. So that there's a significant difference there, you know, in a site-built home, and because it's you have to negotiate the price with the general contractor when you're having a site-built home constructed. Whereas the factory, they're working on much thinner profit margins much higher volume, um, that type of thing. Are we gonna see a shift in terms of purchasing or buying power of the consumers um, with this trend of factory built homes being more popular? Uh, yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, there's just, there's hundreds of thousands of potential um, borrowers uh, wanting to purchase either an existing home or a brand new home, but they're being pushed into a, a smaller square footage homes because interest rates have risen. You know, interest rates are in the five and a half to six and a half percent range. And so that that cuts into the dollar amount that a borrower could otherwise um, qualify for. And so I, I see many consumers, you know, trying to stretch that budget and, um, you know, they're, they're wanting the, to, to move into a 2,000 square foot home, uh, but maybe they can't buy a 2,000 square foot home uh, under the current cost structure, current interest rates. And so a very logical alternative would be to look at a factory built home. Uh, that would have 25, 30, 40% savings uh, in total cost. And so that's a much smaller loan amount that they'd have to qualify for. And, uh, you know, the, the quality, the build quality in factory built housing now is much, much higher than what it used to be. Right. And, you know, you know, I should have probably taken a step back here. Um, I know you we refer to factory built home, but for those who are listening to or maybe newer to construction lending, can you explain the difference between sure. we hear terminologies such as modular home, manufactured home, factory sure. built home, mobile home? Yeah. Are those words interchangeable or what is the correct terminology that uh, you can use? A factory built home, a manufactured home are exactly the same thing. There's no difference. Mobile home, it's the same thing. I think what's changed is the nomenclature that is used by lenders, real estate brokers, um, the GSEs, certainly. And so, you know, years ago, um, these properties often were referred to as mobile homes. Um, but that terminology sort of transitioned from mobile home to um, uh, factory built homes or, or manufactured homes. Um, and then later into, you know, the factory built home. Essentially, it's all the same product because they're all three are built in a factory um, and they come out of the factory with a title to the property. Uh, and they're manufactured uh, in accordance with the HUD Safety Standards Act of 1976, uh, which is Title 24 of the US Code. 
And so sometimes realtors might refer to them as a HUD home, you know, because they're required when they're built in a factory uh, to have the HUD seal attached to the frame of, of the property, of the home. And so anything that's built in a factory under the HUD Safety Standards Act, they're all the, really the same. What's changed is really the description and the nomenclature. Um, I think Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were kind of first to adopt uh, manufactured home in the title, in the description of the loan product. And slowly that has transitioned into, you know, factory built housing, but essentially they are the same thing. Um, in the old days of lending, you know, lenders would refer to them as trailers and wobbly boxes and all kinds of, you know, different types of descriptions. Um, but I prefer the use of either a manufactured home or a factory built home. Uh, that's what the GSEs are going to recognize. If you go to the Fannie Mae selling guide, you know, you'll see it being referred to as, you know, factory built housing on occasion, manufactured housing, but it's basically, it's all the same. Uh, what is, what is not included in that definition would be modular housing. Mm. Uh, and modular is a completely different animal than a factory built home. Um, modular housing components are built in a factory, but they don't get a certificate of title when they come out of the factory. They're simply doors, windows, roof trusses, uh, things of that nature. So uh, I, I see oftentimes lenders being confused between uh, modular and manufactured housing, but they're completely different. They're underwritten differently. They have different risk factors. And so don't, don't be uh, confused with uh, if someone uses the word, you know, modular, because many consumers interchange modular and manufactured home. And that's, that's not correct. That's that shouldn't be referred to that way. Yeah, and you know, thanks Shannon for clarifying that. You know, you 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 use the example of a, a trailer park, right? And so when you think about these manufactured homes, there's comes a stigma of potential buyers thinking that these are cheap and and not in the good way or low quality, right? right? right you know, can right. you speak to the quality of you know, factory built modular homes. And what difference do we see that from what we know sure. as mobile homes? Sure, sure. You know, a, a factory built home can go into a, uh, you know, a rental park uh, where you just rent the space, you rent the dirt. Um, and so a HUD home, a factory built home, a manufactured home can go into what some people would refer to as a trailer park. I don't refer to it that way. It's just a subdivision of lots where you rent, you know, the space. But what is um, the growing trend is for a manufactured home to go on to a, uh, uh, a residential lot that has fee simple ownership, a single family lot that the consumer owns the lot. They don't pay rent. They own the lot. And so, um, I think that's an important consideration to make because the, the growing trend is most consumers, if they are going to look at a factory built home, they want to own the lot as well. 
And if you own the lot uh, and you follow the correct procedures, um, you could, the financing of the manufactured home and the lot can all be under one 30-year mortgage, um, which is quite different than uh, maybe a mobile home dealer selling a manufactured home. Um, but the financing of the manufactured home is uh, done through uh, a financing instrument like a car loan, you know, that would have a five five year term or maybe a seven or a 15 year term. But the growing trend for most consumers is they want to get the 30 year mortgage loan because that's a much lower mortgage payment. And so uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, VA, USVA, all of those government agencies allow for the financing of a factory built home under a 30 year mortgage. Wonderful. There was one thing that was previously uh, discussed that it could be a little complicating and is the, is the conversion of shadow uh -huh. to real property. Can you walk sure. us through that? Sure. You're referring to chattel, chattel property conversion to real property. So now that's a real important uh, uh, component for lenders to know and to understand and to master. Uh, because when a factory built home or a manufactured home, when it's coming out of the factory, uh, it's coming out with a certificate of title, just like you would if an automobile is manufactured, you know, in a factory and it's delivered to the dealer, you get a certificate of title. Well, the same thing holds true for a factory built home. You receive a certificate of title because the, the house at that point is chattel property, personal property, not real estate, mm. it's personal property. And so in order to perfect the conversion of personal property to real property or real estate, the borrower would be required to relinquish control of the title and would relinquish it back to the state. Let's say we're in California, so you'd re relinquish it back to the state of California. And usually that is done through the escrow process. Uh, when the borrower closes the mortgage loan, there's gonna be either a title insurance company or a settlement provider, could be an attorney uh, or uh, escrow title insurance. That entity is uh, usually used to collect the title, uh, have it relinquished back to the state, and they actually mail it, overnight it to the state, and at the same time, uh, require the borrower to sign uh, a state-specific affidavit of a fixture. Borrower signs it. Title company records it in the county recorder's office. And at that point, then it triggers the um, uh, county tax assessor to recognize that, oh my goodness, it's the property is no longer an unimproved lot. It has now been improved because it's got a factory built home sitting on top of it. And so the county tax assessor would reassess the taxes of the lot 
to include the taxation of the real property. Once that's done, then the title insurance company can issue an endorsement to the lender's title policy, verifying that it's now taxed as real property. And that is a requirement in order for the mortgage loan, uh, if, in, if it's a, a Fannie Mae 30 year mortgage loan, um, you have to have a title insurance endorsement evidencing the change of chattel to real property conversion has been completed and we're backing it up and supporting it with an endorsement to the title insurance policy. So it's something that's done in pretty quick and easy steps. Most experienced title officers and escrow officers are very familiar with that. Closing attorneys are very familiar with that process. Uh, there's normally just nominal fees involved in it. But by achieving the chattel to real property conversion, now the lender has a saleable asset, the mortgage loan, that can be sold to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or it could be securitized into a Jenny Mae mortgage-backed security. And so that's why it's very important uh, for the lender to understand that. Uh, I often coach lenders to um, open up a conversation with the uh, closing attorney or the title company, the title officer to discuss those nuances. And they might have a nominal charge, you know, to, to do that. But in order for that affidavit of a fixture to be signed and the title returned, that means the home that has come out of the factory has to be on the foundation because now it's considered to be legally a fixed to the dirt, to the real estate. And so uh, that's a, a little bit of a summary of the chattel to real property conversion. Uh, we here at Langarella spend a lot of time in making sure that those steps are followed in the correct sequence and so forth. Uh, lenders can do it on their own if they choose to, uh, but it's not something that you'd want to ignore because uh, if you fail to do that, you may not have a saleable asset into the secondary mortgage market. And I know that a lot of our listeners uh, are, are lenders. Many uh, could be mortgage bankers that depend on the sale of an asset into the secondary mortgage market. And so those are important steps to follow and to understand. Great, Shannon. So just to kind of summarize the first half of our conversation here, when we're talking about you know, why are factory built homes becoming more popular, more in demand? Um, some of the things that you pointed out is that one, you can have a, a, a huge cost reduction. I think you said anywhere between 25% to 40%. Uh, the, their potential borrowers, potential borrowers um, have the ability to still achieve a size of a square or the square footage that they would like for a home uh, because it, it, the cost is significantly less than a site-built yeah, home. Right. Um, also, the fact that the quality is there. It's no gone are the days where it's, you know, um, a square box and where we think that the quality is not there. Now, with manufactured or factory-built homes, the quality remains uh, there. And lastly, the fact that being able to convert 
from a chattel to a real property is something that's appealing to lenders. Does that sum up the reason why there is this huge demand for factory built? Yeah, and I would I would say that um, one of the things that has changed quite significantly through technology is the fact that uh, these homes are much, much higher quality homes built in a factory now than what they would have been 10 or 20 years ago. And um, you, you can't underscore that. Um, so um, there are a, a, another aspect of this, JL, is the fact that the GSEs have really done a pretty good job in trying to elevate the quality of construction, not just the quality of construction, but the architectural uh, look and feel of the home. Um, and probably the best example of this would be Fannie Mae's efforts to encourage more consumers into factory built housing that has a lower cost um, by uh, changing their internal guidelines and setting a higher bar of standard uh, of construction quality. And I'm speaking specifically about MH Advantage, which is a specific Fannie Mae subset of uh, manufactured housing. They still buy standard HUD designated factory built homes. They buy them all day long, uh, but they also offer the benefit of a home that comes out of the factory that is built to uh, much higher quality standards than the standard HUD home that's built under Title 24. And so an MH Advantage home um, well, here's an ex a, a couple examples. Uh, an MH Advantage home would have up significantly upgraded insulation. Um, they would all have pitched roofs. Uh, they would all have standard overhangs on the side of the house. They would all have architectural articulation. They don't look like a box. You know, they could be two-story. They could be split level. Um, they would probably all have porches. Um, MH Advantage homes are designed to be installed flush with the grade level, not above grade level. Most manufactured homes, you walk up steps to get right. to the front door, you know. Yeah. Uh, MH Advantage, it didn't work that way. You're required to excavate the footprint of the house down about four feet so that the manufactured home is gonna sit flush with the grade level, which gives the home um, the uh, appearance of a site-built home. Uh, and when you add that to um, a better siding, uh, better uh, articulation of the walls, you know, uh, looking at the, at the, at the property uh, from the front and the side views, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they're much more appealing. Uh, and so when consumers look at them, they're not thinking this is a trailer. They're not thinking this is a mobile home. No, that kind of goes out the window. 
And so uh, I, I spent some time at the request of Fannie Mae to go to the Clayton Homes factory in Sacramento. I've told this story before to other people at Wangrilla. And I can tell you um, that when they build these homes in a factory under MH Advantage standards, um, you can't even build a site-built home with the quality that goes into a factory-built home. It's not possible. These factory-built homes, it's all enclosed. Um, there are HUD inspectors all over the factory standing there and watching the framers frame these homes to make sure every nail, every screw goes in exactly the right direction, exactly the right board, exactly the right two by four. Uh, when I went to this uh, uh, factory tour, um, I took with me a structural engineer, a civil engineer, and a general contractor, a framing contractor. Uh, the framing contractor actually was my son-in-law. And uh, so we had the factory tour and they were all very impressed with a high quality of construction. And my son-in-law told me that he could not even frame a wall on site as um, straight and as accurate as what comes out of that factory. Yeah. And so we start to think about it, you know, mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about the wind, you don't have to worry about the weather and rain and all these types of things you don't normally have to deal with, you know, on a uh, on a site-built project. It's in a factory, factory controlled, it's air conditioned, everyone is there on time, boom, 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 out the door it goes. And so I, I was very impressed. And uh, I can tell you that when an MH Advantage home is built and it's placed onto the foundation, you cannot tell the difference between that and a uh, site-built home. It's right. every bit as good a quality. And so one of the, the key things I think that Fannie Mae really nailed and got absolutely right is the fact that they changed the appraisal requirements to allow the appraiser to use site-built comparable sales. Previously, the appraiser had to use only factory-built uh, comparable sales. And that might force an appraiser to go miles away, 10 miles away to get a comparable sale uh, for the subject property. Uh, whereas now, uh, the appraiser can use the best available, most current sale of a similar square footage home might be right across the street. And that home could be a site-built home. So that alleviates a lot of headaches uh, regarding uh, the appraisal process. It makes it quicker, makes it easier. Uh, and that also affects the fallout rate that lenders have to manage when they're managing loans in process. Uh, you want every loan that you put into process to actually close. Right. But it may not close if you can't get a good appraisal report because the comparable sales are 30 miles away. And I know that's very frustrating to credit underwriters to realize, oh no, the closest sale of a home was 30 miles away. That's not a good, that's not a good look. And so uh, with MH Advantage, the sale could be right across the street. It could be a site-built home. 
uh, and therefore make it much easier to uh, conduct the uh, credit underwriting and the appraisal review process. So therefore, you're going to have a higher pull-through rate. You're going to you're going to close most of these loans. You're not going to have loans that fall out. And I know as an old loan production manager that uh, the fallout ratio of loans that are manufactured could be quite high otherwise. Right. Now, you know, you mentioned previously um, that, you know, these homes are, are manufactured in a controlled environment. And when you talk to lenders, one of their biggest obstacle or hurdle is, you know, completing projects on time. Does the fact that these these homes that are built that in a controlled environment and they're built prior to even putting it on site, does that help in any way with regards to, you know, um, making sure that projects are done in a timely manner? Well, that's a good question. That's a fair question, you know, and I would say during COVID there were, uh, you know, significant delays because some of these factories were, were operating with limited hours. Some were shut down for a while. And so that delayed completion of a lot of factory built homes. Um, but we're now beyond that. We're over that now. And so most uh, factory built homes uh, from the time that you sign a contract until the time that it's ready to roll out of, of the factory, you know, could be 60 days. So that's hmm. a pretty reasonable yeah. time period right now. But, you know, a couple of years ago, it might've been nine or 10 months. And so the lesson that lenders learned from that issue was do not close the loan too soon because otherwise you're consuming part of the uh, term of the uh, construction to perm loan if that's what you're originating. And so it's an important consideration, I think, to make for uh, a lender to make a determination uh, uh, as to when is the home expected to roll out of the factory. And mm -hmm. it's not uncommon for lenders to call people like Clayton Homes just to verify, hey, the contract says, you know, the home will be ready in 45 days or 60 days, just calling to confirm that nothing has changed in that, in that regard, you know, because that's a reasonable time period. Uh, that does allow for time uh, for the site contractor to maybe level the lot, put in a driveway, install retaining walls, install well and septic. And by the time you get all of that done, you know, that factory built home should be on its way, ready to be set down onto the foundation. I know that we have covered, you know, quite a lot of positives of a factory built home. In your experience, what do you think is the biggest misstep that you've seen in financing a factory built home? Well, probably one big misstep has been with lenders confusing modular with factory built housing. So don't make that mistake. Uh, if the borrower is actually talking about and considering a modular home, that's a completely separate, different animal. Um, so, so that's one issue. The other issue, I guess, and, and this is a real common issue, is that of the uh, confusion 
that a lender might have as to advancing construction funds um, that represent the cost of the manufactured home, uh, which would be significant, would could be several hundred thousand dollars, um, and not um, not dispersing that money either to a mobile home, manufactured home dealer, or to the factory until it's set on the foundation. And so there are uh, most of the publicly traded uh, manufacturer home companies uh, would require a deposit. That's a reasonable uh, request to require a deposit. Usually there's an initial deposit from the borrower. Um, but maybe 10% of the entire contract would be a reasonable deposit before the home has actually been delivered on site. But you wouldn't send the entire contract amount of $200,000 uh, to the manufacturer before it's left the factory. Don't do that. That's a dumb move. Um, because you're, you're, you as a lender, you're managing the borrower's money through a construction loan agreement. And so that would be taking uh, uh, an inordinate amount of risk. And so the goal here is to, yes, advance funds for maybe a deposit, but the balance would not be due until the home not only has been delivered, but it's placed on the permanent foundation. That's when those funds should be dispersed. And so I would not disperse the funds to a dealer. Mm. Uh, because the dealer did not manufacture the home. The dealer is not the material supplier. So something that large, you know, that that draw probably should go, you know, to the material supplier, which is the manufactured home company. And so because most manufactured home companies are publicly traded and they're well established, they have financial stability. I can't say that would be true with all um, uh, dealers that work in this space. They're not publicly traded. They're small entrepreneurial groups. They may be really good at what they do, but you wouldn't have an assurance that they're going to be there one day. So I think those are the two big ones, you know, being sure when is the correct time to disperse the funds to actually pay for the manufactured home coming out of the factory. Many lenders are mortgage companies and are using a warehouse credit source. And so most warehouse banks would be all over that. Uh, uh, if they receive a request for an advance on a warehouse line of several hundred thousand dollars, the first thing they're gonna ask is, well, has all the work been done? Is the home set on the foundation? And if it's not, a warehouse bank would likely not advance the funds. And so that's another reason, that's another um, issue that I think a lender would want to make sure they're very clear with their credit source, with their warehouse bank, uh, what their requirements are in terms of advancing funds off of a warehouse line to pay the manufacturer or to pay the dealer. So. Something else to keep in mind here is that all of these installations of a factory built home um, 
they're all going to require a site contractor. Hmm. And they're not the ones that's building the home, but they're the one that is grading the lot, putting in the driveway, maybe installing a well, a septic, building retaining walls. And very few manufactured homes come with a garage. So you're going to need a site contractor to, to construct a double car garage. So, mm. so that's something to keep in mind that there is a site contractor, not responsible for building the home and probably not responsible for setting it on the foundation, but they've got to do all the other work. So. Thanks, Shannon, for pointing that because that was one of my questions of I've actually heard that quite often is, you know, do we vet the, you know, the site contractor? Do we vet the dealer? Do we vet the, uh, you know, and being able to distinguish and determine between the two as right. to who gets paid for that. I think right. that's something that I'm, I'm very happy that you pointed it out here today, because right. that is a common question that we get. Yeah, you're right. Um, it, it is. And uh, it's important to remember that these manufacturing companies like people like Clayton Homes, Palm Harbor, these are all publicly traded companies regulated by the SEC. There really is no need to vet out the manufacturer. Uh, I think that's a waste of time, expense and energy. Uh, but you definitely would want to vet out whoever is doing the site work. And that could be a general contractor, uh, or it could be the dealer that is involved in the contract negotiation between the manufacturer and the borrower. And if it is a dealer, a dealer would have to be licensed uh, to install a manufactured home or to do other site improvements. So you would have to vet out these, what we refer to as the site contractor who's going to be responsible for everything except the house. Um, right. Because you have to bring in utilities, the lot has to be graded, might have to be compacted, uh, retaining walls may have to be installed, someone may have to bring in utilities, uh, uh, septic lines and, you know, all that type of stuff. So the, there still is going to be a vetting process of whoever is acting as the site contractor. Usually it's a general contractor, but it could be a dealer who, home, who has a, a contractor's license. And so you can't get away from that aspect of it, but you don't have to vet out the manufacturer of the home um, because they're producing uh, quarterly and annual financial statements, you know, to their shareholders and to the SEC and things of that nature. So um, that's the way that looks. Thank you, Shannon, for joining us today and for sharing your knowledge. I know the topics that we discussed today raised a lot of questions for our listeners. And so thank you everyone for tuning in today to this podcast. If you have questions or feedback that you would like to share, please email us at marketing at landgorilla.com and also visit us at landgorilla.com to learn more about the solutions to our construction lending management. Until next time, I'm Jamie Lee, and this is the Construction Lending Podcast.